that uh, that video shared. And as we sing through these songs, we're talking about the light of the world. And you're like, well, what does that, what does that matter for us? And so I want to challenge you with that thought tonight. What does that mean for us? Um, have you ever tried to find something in the dark? You know, you know it's there, or maybe you don't even know it's there. You know, wife sends you to the fridge, and you're like, ah, the light's broken, you can't find anything, it's behind the milk somewhere. And, you know, I I remember years ago, um, when I was young and immature, I decided to go out with a bunch of my friends and go tobogganing on a a golf course. And so, of course, we had to make sure the golf course owner was asleep, so it was super late at night when we started there. So it was a whole bunch of us, um, and we were out there, and uh, we were in, like, um, um, tobogganing, and we had sleds, and we even brought an old canoe along, which we left there. Uh, I don't even remember where the golf course was. If you were, if you're here, uh, the coincidence rare. I apologize, but you know that it was this awesome evening, and we were like, we were super pumped for it. And then at the end of the night, everybody's getting in their cars to go home, and I climb up to the hill, and I get to my parents' minivan, and I had taken like seven other people with me, and 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 I, the door's locked, and I look, and I'm like, I don't have the keys. I'm like, to my buddies, I'm like, I don't, I don't have the keys. They're like, no, you're fooling us, you're fooling us. I'm like, no, I really, I don't have the keys. And that sinking feeling in your gut when you know, like, I'm responsible for other people's children, and we're all going to die on a golf course tonight, right? Like, uh, it, for real, it's scary. Like, one in the morning. This is pre-cell phone days. I know I don't look it, but I'm that old. And so we couldn't, we couldn't call anybody. And, and so then we're, like, worried. And, and, you know, that's when, as a teenager, you first begin to pray. I'm like, dear God, please, if you're alive, real, like, help me find these keys. And so we know that they're somewhere on the golf course. In all the hills we went, and so I'm, we begin to walk, and we get to the top of the first hill. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I look, and, and just as we're, you know, at that, just at that moment, it's like, like it could have been, couldn't have been better orchestrated. The moon comes out from behind a cloud, and I see halfway down the hill something glinting in the snow. And I begin to walk down there. I'm like hoping against hope. And I walk. The closer I get, definitely something is in the snow. And I get halfway down that hill, and I pick up the stuff in the snow, and it's my keys. And I'm like, that's why I'm here. You know, I was like, I was so happy. I'm like, oh, man, we're, we're saved. And we went home. I never told my parents. Uh, they're not here, so they won't know. But it was this, it was this thing of like, oh, man, I, I, I was saved. You know, it's that idea of looking for something. It's difficult to, uh, sometimes difficult to see it or difficult to find it. And, you know, every year we celebrate the birth of Christ at this time of year. And we do it different, different ways. All around the world people are celebrating this. And accounts, you know, the accounts of uh, the birth of Jesus, they were all written down thousands, a couple thousand years ago. And some of you think, you know, well, they were written at the manger scene. But they weren't written at the manger scene. You know, when Jesus was born, nobody wrote anything really about it then. It wasn't until later, after he grew up, he began to do miracles. He began to teach the crowds. They were like, this guy, he's somebody. Like, he's something. I think he's the Savior. I think he's the Messiah that was prophesied. And they thought that for a while. And then he died. And then nobody thought he's the Messiah anymore. They'd all given up. And they're like, well, no point writing about a guy who died. He couldn't be the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, three days later, this man rises from the dead. That's so miraculous. They were like, we don't care what we believed before. He rose from the dead. He's got to be the Messiah. And they began to write. And they began to write down some of the things that happened. Matthew wrote down about the wise men, the kings from the east. And he wrote about King Herod. And he, he wrote about the king of kings. And then Luke, who wanted to make sure that it was like an accurate account, he talked to everybody and probably talked to Mary as well. And as he wrote down, he wrote about the shepherds that you just saw in the video. And he, he wrote about the angels and Simeon and Anna, the first senior citizens in the New Testament, who recognized that God 
is with us. And they wrote about that. And then there was this guy named John. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John, the guy who hung out with Jesus, who saw all of that. John was the one who lived the longest. He was the one who took care of Mary after Jesus went back to heaven. And he probably heard the story tons of times. But he doesn't begin his story. He doesn't begin his account with the manger, with the sheep, with any of it. He writes something different. He writes this poem. And it goes like this in John chapter 1, verse 1. You can see it up on the screen. He wrote this. In the beginning, the word already existed. He's talking about Jesus. That word was with God, and the word was God. This is not just some person we're talking about. He says, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then God sent a man named John the Baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe. That's why he told, and because of, his, or because of his testimony. And John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. You know, it's interesting that when John has to decide how he's going to describe the Messiah, the Savior, he uses that word light. It's interesting when you think about light because there's a lot of things we know about light today that they may not have known back then. Do you know that light attracts? It's why we, you know, when you want to kill bugs, you put up a light, you know, it zaps them because it, it attracts them. This is a much healthier way. You know, there, I remember um, a number of years ago, I was driving a, um, a van, again, driving a van, somebody else's this time, but driving from Alberta all the way here, and they were calling for this big snowstorm, and I went through the states and driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden, that snowstorm hit, and I'm in this storm, and I can't see more than a few feet in front of me. And as I'm, as I'm driving, I'm like, this is terrible. But there's this truck in front of me, so it's good. It's a big tanker truck he's driving. I'm watching his taillights, and I'm staying behind him. And then all of a sudden, his taillights go like this. And he drove straight into the ditch. And I'm like, I'm not following this guy anymore. I'm like, I'm parking right here in the middle of the freeway, and I'm sleeping. And then I noticed I was right by an off-ramp. So I was like, well, I'll go on the off-ramp. But I slowly drove off the off-ramp. And as I got to the edge of it, I turned off my vehicle. And as I turned it off, I noticed a light. A light shining through the snowstorm. I was like, man, is it possible that somebody could be living here? And so I, I, I turned on my van again, and I drove off to that spot where the light was. And the closer I got, I realized the driveway. I drove up. There's this ramshackle old house in an old barn. I'm like, oh, it's better than a van, you know. So I went and knocked on the door, and this guy, scruffy guy, opens the door. And he's like, he looks at me, and he yells into the house, honey, we got another one. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean, another one, right? Like, I think of it's a movie or something, right? But, but then I walk in, I see this other guy there, and then there was this family with two little children, and they all had gotten caught in this snowstorm, and they'd all seen his light and, 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 and come to his house. So we all spent the night together, my you know, slumber party with complete strangers, uh, and curled up by the fire, and the next morning we all went our way. But it was neat how the light attracted all of us to that one spot. See, light attracts, but not always. Because sometimes, you know, when we talk about the light of the world that it can attract, it can also repel. I, I don't know about you if you've ever had that experience where, you know, light repels. Like this morning it happened to me. Uh, we were, were celebrating Christmas today and opening gifts with my kids because I have to be here too early tomorrow morning to do that. And so this morning my kids rush into my room bright and early at 8.05 and they throw the lights on. That's early for pastors. And they throw, they throw the lights on and I'm like, oh, you know, it's like, get up, dad, get up, dad, it's present time. I'm like, oh, you know, turn off the lights, turn off the lights. I don't want anything to do with the lights. Because the light sometimes repels. And the light also, you know why it repels sometimes? is because it, it reveals. It reveals in good ways. Like finding my keys on that, on that hill, I was happy that the light revealed that. But sometimes it reveals stuff that we don't like. 
Yesterday, my wife asked me to change the lights in the bathroom, and so I did. I changed them in hers, and then I changed them in mine. And unfortunately, it revealed some things to me about my own bathroom downstairs that I did not know before. It is not as clean as I thought. You know, I found spider webs and dust bunnies in the corner and this grossness around the toilet bowl that I'm going to credit to my four-year-old who can't aim. But I never saw it before. But there it was. As soon as the lights came on, there it was. And you know what? The light reveals that kind of stuff. It reveals the grossness of my bathroom, but it's funny how the light reveals the grossness of our hearts, too. It, it really does. It shows that true spot of where our hearts are at. You know, um, the things that, if we're honest, I think each and every one of us can say, there's a, bit of, there's a bit of grossness in me sometimes. There's stuff that I'm not proud of. There's things that I've said or done that, that, you know, I wish I could take back. There's people that I've hurt that I wish I could take back. I've hurt myself, and I wish I hadn't done those things. You know, the truth is that grossness, and the Bible would call it sin, it deserves judgment, and, and, and we don't like that thought. You know, I was thinking about it, and I thought, how can I illustrate this idea of judgment? Because for us, we think, ah, it's just little white lies, it's just little sins. Yeah, please stop talking about it. It's a little bit awkward. thought about it. I remember a number of years ago, I took a, a number of teens. I was a youth pastor, and I took a bunch of teens to Buffalo on a short-term mission trip. We were going to go help in downtown Buffalo. And as we were there, the one night, we're all hanging out as a group, and some of you were there. And uh, I was spraying, we were spraying water, had a water fight or something. And, and, and my buddy Brandon was there. He'll be here tomorrow, but... Uh, spraying water at Brandon, and something, I did something that, that sort of got him going, and so he began chasing me all over this compound where we were staying, and I'm running, I run fast scared, and so I'm like, I'm getting away. Finally, he corners me behind this couch, and uh, then uh, I can't go anywhere, so I'm like, I give up, and he's like, no, no, not that easy. He grabs me, and if you don't know my friend Brandon, like, he can bench press 500 pounds. Like, he is jacked. And so he picks me up, he puts me on his shoulders, and he starts spinning around in circles. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to puke, and I'm like screaming like a little girl in front of all my team members. I'm like, put me down, I'm the leader, right? I can still do it. And uh, so finally, after like, he gets to like, this is puke, and he's just off back a little bit. He finally puts me down. I'm dizzy, but I am fuming mad. At this point, I'm like, you just embarrassed me in front of everybody. And something went off in my head. Like, I'm going to punch him out. <laughs> I know, right? Like, describing him, that is not a good idea. But, but I don't know if I was dizzy or the fact that I've never punched anybody in my life before. I just hauled back, and I swung as hard as I could. But by the time it got to him, it was more like a slap on his face. And he looked at me. And he wasn't hurt at all, but he was, like, surprised he looked, and all of a sudden, I could see he saw red. Like, his fist started clenching, and I'm like, aw, dang. Because I remember him telling me before, you hit me once, it better be hard enough to put me on the ground because you're not going to survive what comes after that. And here we are, buddies, and he looks around, and he realizes as his fist is clenched that everybody's watching, including my future mother-in-law. And so he walks out, stomps out of the room, and we hear doors slamming and whatever. Later on, he came and showed me. I was so thankful he didn't punch me because later on, he went out and showed me what he did punch. He punched a steel door with his bare fist and left a dent in it that's probably still there to this day. And I'm like, I'm so thankful that door took my punishment. Otherwise, I couldn't do this anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't have any teeth left, you know. And, and there's this, 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 this thought when I thought about it. It is like that. See, we think that our punishment 
the sin, the grossest in our life deserves kind of a little bit of punishment. But really, it's more like that. What we've done is, is so offensive that the, you know, the punishment's going to be way more than what we think it's going to be. And we need grace if we're going to survive it. You know, that grossness, that sin in our heart, it deserves big punishment. In God's eyes, the punishment for sin, he says, something has to die. Oh, God, why does it have to be that big? Why does it have to be that tough? Why do we have to talk about that? These, these thoughts like that make us feel a little uncomfortable. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, I know, I understand. And we're like, why do we have to talk about this? You know what? Uncomfortable things help us make positive decisions. I don't know if you know about that. You know, after Christmas, after you ate too much and your clothes don't fit in January, it gives you a choice to make positive decisions, like join a gym or buy bigger clothes, right? It forces you, it forces you to make some different decisions. It's not a bad thing to feel uncomfortable. But tonight, why do we talk about it? Why not just have a nice service? Why not? Like, there's guests, Mark. Don't make anybody feel uncomfortable. But you know what? The truth is, when Jesus came, it's why he came. Not to make people uncomfortable, but to come and light up the world, to reveal the true condition of our heart, and then to point us to the solution, which is him. You know, the light has come into the world. God has revealed himself to this world to show us the way, to show me, to show you the way to what you're really looking for. See, the truth is so many people are looking, they're looking in the darkness for what they can only find in the light. You know, they're, they're searching for, for this value. And so they decide, I'll make more money to hopefully feel valuable. I'll sleep with whomever will sleep with me to try and feel loved. I'll fill my body with all different kinds of substances to try and not feel pain. I'll try to become popular so that I don't have to feel alone. And yet all of those things, as we look to darkness, it just leaves us more dark. It just leaves us with emptiness on the inside. But it says the light has come. The one who knew no darkness, the one who knew no sin, became sin for me, became sin for us. He received the full punishment of death on a cross, took the full punishment. You wonder what the punishment for our sin was. It was death. And he took it. The judgment I deserved, he endured and he overcame. You know, it's awesome. A lot of times we think, you know, the light came to bring guilt. It's like any time you get into church, you feel guilty. It's not why he came. It's not why he came at all. You know, Jesus didn't come to bring guilt, but he came to bring forgiveness. He didn't come to bring shame, but to bring worth. Who would die for you? Man, you've got to be incredibly valuable if someone's going to give their life for you. He didn't come to bring rules and rituals and church and, you know, just different the way we know it. But he came to bring relationship with Heavenly Father. He didn't come to condemn the world, but through him we might be saved. He came to bring love, and he came to bring life. It says that's why the light of the world has come. So my question is this. Have you ever been looking for something, but you're not sure what it was until you found it? I told this story a couple weeks ago. I was driving my car, and I heard this sound, and it didn't sound right. As Every time I pushed the gas, I heard like this tapping sound. I'm like... That's got to be like a lifter or something. My car, Eleanor, she must be on the way out. I'm thinking this is going to cost me a lot of money. Like, oh. And so I was, I was kind of upset. But as I was driving, I drove through Simcoe where my master mechanic, John Stanger, can you just wave, John, man with the hat. He is reputable as a mechanic, not as a Santa. But, uh, you know, he, uh, this guy, he, he listens to my car for me. I'm like, can you listen to it? And he, he listens. He's like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. He's like, pop the hood. I'll stick my head under there, and you just push the gas, and we'll see what happens. And I'm like, Okay, John, but I can't put it in park, you know, like, hold on. And brakes and gas at the same time. And sure enough, click, 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 click. And he's like, come on out here. I found what you're looking for. And so as I went out there to take a look, he pulls a three and a half foot 
piece of snow fence out from underneath my car that had jammed up under there and was rubbing up against the belts and the wheels every time I pushed the gas. He's like, this is what you were looking for. I'm like, I didn't know I was looking for that. I was looking for a few thousand dollar bill, but thank you, John. You know, that I didn't know what I was looking for until somebody showed me. And tonight, tonight, my question is this. Could it be that in all your searching and all your looking and all of the trying to find some something that matters on the inside that Jesus might actually be the one you're looking for? Is it possible? Is it possible? So maybe today, you know, the lights are coming on on the inside of you. As you sit in this place, it's like, you know, maybe for you, life's felt dark. It's felt empty. It's felt meaningless. You know, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year for you. But maybe today as you're listening and you're laughing, and you're like, wow, but you know what? I see a glimmer of hope. If Jesus is who you say he is, that gives me a little bit of hope. The wise men saw the glimmer of a star and took a journey to find out for themselves. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. If there's that glimmer of hope and that glimmer of wonder, I'm like, Jesus, God, you know, are, are you really real? Would you take steps on that journey to find out for yourself? John wrote this later at the end. He said, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But this is for all of us. To, it says, to all who believed. Who's all? All. All who believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. See, we all have the chance to respond. We all have a choice in our response. You know, you know the Christmas story? Some, like Herod, rejected and were repelled by the light. Others, like the shepherds, rejoiced and received what was uh, said in the light. The wise men followed the light for themselves. And today, whoever you are, God knows you are here, and he's inviting you into relationship with him to come and follow the light. John ended his whole book with these thoughts. He said, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. He said, but these are written. Why did he write all the stuff? Why did he write it? He said, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, by trusting in him, you will have life by the power of his name. What does it mean to trust? Maybe you're hearing like, hey, what do I do with that? Yeah, you know, it sounds good, but how do I do it? The idea of trusting is transferring my weight. The idea that I can, you know, undo my bad deeds with some good ones, or that I can be the master of my own happiness, or that I can control, you know, my own life. He's saying to put the trust of our, of our eternal destiny and of our forgiveness and salvation is to put your weight on something other than you. In the same way that I just move over to a chair and put all my trust in this chair to hold me, it is that same way of saying in some way, God, I don't know all the answers yet, but I know I need a Savior, and so I put my life in your hands it's not a prayer. It's not a prayer that makes you a Christian. It simply lets God know that you want to follow him. You can do it today. You really can. A simple, a simple uh, gesture of letting God know, God, I want to turn away from darkness, and I want to follow the light. You know, one last thought before we finish this part tonight. You know, there are some here who maybe you used to have faith. Maybe as a child you went to church. Maybe there's a part back there that you felt, you know, used to have faith, but you've drifted away from it. And you go, to Christ, you go to church on Christmas and Easter, and it's kind of your thing. And maybe you got really good reasons why, you know, you're done with all of that kind of stuff. Maybe it was hypocrisy. Can I tell you something? That other people's what they say and how they act has nothing to do with what Jesus did for you. Do you know, maybe for you it was like bad experiences. You're like, I got hurt by a church once. 
I've asked this question before. Have you ever had a bad haircut? Did you stop getting your haircut after that? Did you ever have a bad hamburger at a restaurant? Did you just like, I give up on restaurants after that? No, you go and try something different. You know, maybe for you, it's just simply that you're too busy. It's not priority anymore. Work, kids, life, it's all gotten, it's all got uh, a life. The question that Jesus would ask you tonight is, what's at the end of that? You live your life trying to make money, trying to go to the end. At the end of that, you know, he says, what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? And the reason he asked that question is because he's telling you what's most important. He says, what would you trade? What would you trade if you were to lose your own soul? You would trade it all. Whatever you could have gained, whatever experiences, you would trade it all for your soul. He's giving you the chance to do that tonight, to realize it's you. You, your soul, you are the most valuable thing that you have. It's you, and it's you that he came for. So leave you with one last story. A friend of mine, he's 88. His name's E.B. I was telling the story last weekend. It's, uh, he has a sister-in-law. I asked him, How, how'd you get to 88? He's like, 88, that's nothing. He says, my sister-in-law, she's 95, and she still lives alone. And uh, he said she was cooking the other week, and he says she was cooking beans, and a bean fell on the floor, and so she bent down, and she fell. And she's laying there on the floor in front of her stove, and she couldn't move. And so she started yelling for help, and no one came. And she began banging on the, on the door, but no one came. The next morning, her son came in and found her laying there in front of the stove. She'd been there all night, too in pain to move. And he asked her, he said, how come you didn't push the button? How come you didn't push the beeper? You know, I've fallen and I can't get up. She had one. How come you didn't use it? She's like, oh, it's in the drawer. You know, I felt like, you know, I, felt like I was do- doing good enough that I didn't need it. And when she needed it most, she didn't have it. And for some of you, I want to encourage you. God's not angry at you, but he misses you. You know, this idea that, you know, you've walked away. Maybe you did it unnecessarily, and he's calling you back into relationship with him. You don't have to get it all cleaned up. The light does that. You don't have to figure out all the steps. The light directs us, but he's calling you back into relationship. Don't wait for the moment till life all falls apart before you come back to the Lord. Your heavenly Father loves you, and he's inviting you to come back into relationship with him tonight. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for giving us a chance to think about some really important things tonight. God, there's no, I, you never pressure any person. You've given us all the free, free choice and free will. Holy Spirit, I pray tonight that in this place that people would hear your voice. You're just your words of love for them. You know them and you love them. You know me and you love me. Jesus, thank you for coming for us, for showing that incredible love and giving your life for us on the cross. May the power of that change lives here tonight. It's in your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen.